0: Welcome to the Immigrant Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to everything money, online business, and immigration. Because immigrant families deserve to build generational wealth too. I'm your host, Adina, social entrepreneur, an immigration attorney, and financial educator and coach for immigrant families. I created the Immigrant Finance platform with my husband, Mauricio, who immigrated to the US eight years ago after we struggled through the whole process of trying to figure out finances as an immigrant family alone. who wanted to share what we learned about building wealth with others along the way and created the Immigrant Finance School Group Coaching Program, where we teach immigrants and their families like you how to manage their money, get started investing, and build online businesses in just weeks, all with group accountability and support. Our clients have been able to get started investing and develop lifelong plans to build generational wealth, regardless of their immigration status actually launched an online business they've been dreaming of starting for years, bringing enough income to leave a job with a shitty boss and book up their calendar for the rest of the month just after announcing their new coaching business. I'm coming to you with a new show several times a week with stories about online business lessons, money and mindset insights, and guest interviews to help you become financially empowered. Each episode will switch between personal finance and online business topics. So let's get to this week's episode. To start us with her first introduction, and just for the podcast, as we're recording, hey everyone, we're recording from an Instagram live, um, all about uh, personal finance and immigration for healthcare professionals. And I'm here today with two doctors who are going to be sharing some of their expertise in this area, their personal experiences, their professional experiences. So I'll introduce or take it over to Arunima first to introduce herself.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so my name is Arunima, or Nima, or Tatibera, as people call me, at work. Uh, I am a pediatric ICU patient, and I'm currently working in an underserved area of California. So yeah, it's just a great privilege to be working in this community and you know, applying all my skills and knowledge um, and experiences of a crew. And I'm so happy to be a part of this conversation where we're talking about money. Um, <laughs> it's just not had enough, especially in the medical space. So yeah, I'm really happy to join you and Justin in my chat today. Wonderful.
0: Justin, what about you?
2: Um, Yeah, I'm Justin. Um, I am currently in training for pediatric critical care as well. Uh, I'm in fellowship right now Um, and uh, live in California also. Um, Took a couple years out after residency before going back for training and um, yeah, been excited to be part of this conversation. Um, Money has been a a topic that I've I've been uh, really excited learning about and sharing with others and excited to be here and learn from you all as well.
0: Absolutely. And, and Justin, you're also like a personal finance, uh, influencer blogger, Instagrammer. how do you describe it? You've got simple finance community, which has awesome content. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, I, I guess I would describe myself as an educator.
2: Um, I feel like, um, financial education is, is pretty sorely lacking in our medical training, um, for a lot of medical professionals. Um, and it's something that I, uh, got hit very hard with when I was graduating from medical school with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, um, and realized I had no idea what to do with that and, um, where to go. And so, um, became, uh, really passionate about learning and, and, uh, growing as much as I can in that area. And, and since then I've been really excited to share it with other uh, trainees that I've worked with and colleagues. And I've realized that it's a, it's a huge area of need, uh, a huge area, of, um, lacking in our education um, as medical professionals
0: absolutely that sounds a lot like what the experience is for lawyers too it's i think it's probably really similar it's like you get highly trained in these areas and then no one tells you about how to like manage a budget right or like any of these for yeah. all the debt you have yeah it doesn't make any sense
2: mm-hmm. it's so true it's it's uh it's amazing that, you know, people are so willing to let us take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and uh, then be like, good luck, figure it out. Totally. So, yeah.
0: It's crazy. Um, I'll, I'll just introduce myself quickly for folks new to our community listening. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Adina, uh, Adina Appelbaum. I am an immigration attorney and accredited financial counselor. So I kind of Look at the financial system for immigrants and their families, like from the immigration law perspective, from the financial perspective. Um, and my, you know, er- my interest in this area really came from personal experience with my husband, Mauricio, who's an immigrant from Ecuador. Um, just because when he came here, we struggled a lot with money. I was in law school, so similar to the med school day, like hundreds of thousands of debt on my shoulders and like barely living paycheck to paycheck and we couldn't figure out if he could like have a bank account or have a credit card or invest and there was no information anywhere Mm -hmm. about these topics for immigrants. So I'm really excited to be talking to you all about that because I know you've seen that too for the immigrant community in this space of healthcare professionals. Um, So yeah, I guess we can get started. Does anyone want to kick us off with the, the first question we have prepared or Jump on
1: anything. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, the first and foremost just to approach the topic of personal finance, right? And like when is the right time to get into it. Just to piggyback a little bit on what you guys volunteer mentioned, I think. It's wild, right? We have so many years of training on really technical skills and building acumen and also learning to like serve our communities and give it our like 200% every day. But the one thing that is so pervasive in our life, which is managing money, which is really, let's be honest, that's what includes everything. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that we don't really get to know. So, when do you think getting into personal finances, when is the right time? I mean, I feel it was yesterday, but <laughs> <laughs> when do you think it's the right time to get into that?
2: Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I, I agree with you. I think yesterday was the right time. Okay. Um, but I, I think that... Um, <coughs> I think that there are steps that you can take at every point along the journey. And, you know, if you are, since we're talking specifically for medical professionals, if you are, you know, a pre med student or pre PA or whatever, I mean, now's the time to start thinking about, you know, learning to budget and how do you manage your credit card and pay it off every month and not go into, into debt in that regard? Where do you, you know, how do you manage your application fees and save for those? I think you know, there are practical steps along every point of the journey that you can start taking. And um, and then as you kind of grow in your career and you start making money and you can start learning about investing and, and you know, uh, all those types of things. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think yesterday is the right time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think time is just such an important thing to to focus on here because with finances a lot of it is about time and like not losing time so that your money can work for you like with investing it's all about time in the market for it to grow and that's something that we've seen a lot of people are not told about in the immigrant community um, it's it's just not commonly talked about so people are missing out on that information. And, and yeah, yeah, I'm interested. In what have you all seen in, in with healthcare professionals? Um, and already, I believe you're an immigrant yourself. right? do you want to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about like your experience with like when did this became become uh, an issue for you and stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I think so. I came into the U.S. as a medical student with relatively early. I mean, you know, people come in different life stages and whatnot, but mm. I kind of got integrated into, like, learning about finances, you know, from, from the time that I was a student, which in some ways, you know, helped in progressing through, like, the next, like, stages of residency and then so on and so forth. There was still a big learning curve in just, like, getting to know the system, mm-hmm. uh, getting to know, like, how credit cards work realizing it's very easy to get into debt Mm -hmm. it's so easy to get a credit card and then next thing you know you have five so um yeah that that was a lot of like learning for me I think something that I also needed to really um tell myself and honestly a lot of this came from other people telling me uh some of my friends and then you know I did Um, get a lot of education and help from like a financial advisor that no matter what background you are from, as long as, you know, you do your research, you can absolutely not only save money, but build wealth, start investing, you know, and also like secure your financial future in terms Mm -hmm. of like getting disability insurance or getting other forms of insurance. And I think a lot of it was mindset. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's the mindset of it where, like, you are absolutely worthy of doing those things, even when you're making like 30, 40, $50,000 as like, a trainee, all the way to, you know, when you do make it as an attending and then you do um, earn more. So a big part of that is mindset. And I think there was, there's also a component of what I actually wished I started doing earlier, which was the habit of putting money aside for saving and for investing. Because I feel like the more you normalize that for yourself, mm-hmm. eventually when you do get to that stage where you can, you know, instead of maybe just putting in $10 aside for saving or investing, now you're putting in like hundreds of thousands, it's not as much of a joke to the system, mm-hmm. right? So it, yeah, it, it's, if I, could, if I could have given myself feedback when I was younger, that's probably what, what I would have done, which is start much earlier. Mm. But um, I think now with sort of the democratization of financial education, you know, which both of you are doing on this platform too, and just with so much more access being made available to people, um, I'm just seeing a change, uh, and I'm hopeful that it gets even more and more accessible to
0: people. Um, so yeah, that's my take. I love that. Can I ask you a follow-up question about the mindset stuff? Like, because, you know, we all face mindset stuff with money, no matter where we're from, who we are. Mm-hmm. So how does that the immigrant experience add another layer to that when it comes to finances? I mean, we yeah. talk about this all night, but I really want to
1: hear you. Right, right. No, that, thats a great question, and I will say, like, before I even answer that, you know, this is only speaking from my personal experience. Um, you know, even though I do come from an immigrant background, I'm extremely privileged that uh, you know our family is relatively well off, and that you know, my parents did help me out a little bit with my education and, you know, paying off my debt. Um, I didn't really have as much of a pressure to send money back home or, you know, supporting other members of my family because I am aware that a lot of people have those responsibilities on them. So I just want to get that out of the way. But having said that, I think there was still this additional pressure of, having to or wanting to like save as much money as possible. Um, I think in the process of getting used to the sheer cost of living in mm-hmm. a urban setting, um, working in a hospital and making a salary that honestly has not been updated since the late 90s, that's what the problem is for a lot of residents and fellows that that kind of mental pressure um, is, is there. And I would say that's universal for both people you know, who are immigrants who are not, right? Um, but it's always that additional pressure of like, you know I need to uh, make sure that my family knows that I'm okay and I'm mm-hmm. doing okay and I am surviving and hopefully thriving too. Yeah. So yeah, that's,
2: that's how it was. Thanks for sharing your experience. That's really, that's really cool to hear.
1: Yeah,
0: I agree. It's very, I think a lot of people would relate to that. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about um, when, oh, we, we covered when. Okay. What are some of the challenges to managing finances and some of the kind of first steps that you all would recommend?
1: Yeah. Justin, you can, you can take it.
2: Sure. Um, you know, I think that I I really like what you said about, um, developing habits. Um, I think that there's a lot of time, a a pressure to feel that you have to be devoting a, a lot of money towards something to, to make it meaningful. And I think that, you know, even being able to devote, you know, 10, $20 a month towards a financial goal is, is, meaningful and you know as your income and and experience grows then you can expand that and grow that um i think that you know one of the things that i that i always really try to emphasize especially for for people um in the medical field is is you know learning the habits of budgeting Um, there's this this uh ideal doctor lifestyle that everybody talks about. And I imagine it's somewhat similar in law, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's well, I've made it. So now I have to live it up. And I think that, you know, learning to, to track your money, know where it's going is, is an invaluable habit. Um, And then, you know, I always talk about establishing an emergency fund being one of your first goals um, Mm -hmm. and kind of getting started in that regard and, and getting three to six months of your expenses, you know, Start putting that away so that you have it as you accomplish your other goals. Should something else happen, mm-hmm. um, and and those are, I think, really great places to start. And then you know, understanding. Student debt, understanding your loans, the terms of your loans, the interest, what that means, how much it's going to cost you, um, how are you going to pay it off? Are you going to go through some sort of loan forgiveness program? Is it going to be cost effective for you versus getting a high-paying job and, and tackling it and paying it off? And um, mm-hmm. and so I think, you know, kind of understanding the basics of, of what um of what is in front of you and, and uh, educating yourself on on those those particular topics.
0: That's an amazing Mm -hmm. overview. Thank you for sharing
1: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, personally, a challenge that I had initially in my financial journey was, you know, like you mentioned, just like uh, making sure that, you know, you have those habits. And I do think that with the idea of like automating certain you know, those mm. habits, you don't even have to think about it. Yeah, much. I you love know. automating. <laughs> yeah, automating, like, whoever invented that, you know, should, should get all, all the extra points. Yes. Um, because it really takes that, like, active thinking out of your head. Right. Um, the one thing that I would say, and, and this might be segue into talking a little bit about, like, lifestyle information, that... So the whole thing about like making that transition from a trainee to, you know, when you sort of get that first big job and not falling into the trap of, okay, now I'm making, you know, 2X, 3X the amount of money. So that means I can buy the Porsche, right? Or I can, you know, get that fancy condo, like whatever. Um, And there is this thing where I, I just like to think of it as like, in terms of our relationship with money, it should, you know, there's a bell shape for two more things, right? You don't want to be on the extremely restrictive side mm-hmm. because you have worked hard for that money, right? So mm. um, the, the guilt of wanting to spend your money is also very real. And honestly, mm-hmm. that is also something I battle with. Even yeah. even now, um, you don't want to be too restrictive, and at the same time, of course, you don't want to be too private. You want to be right, sort of in the middle where um, you have your savings, you have your investments, um, mm-hmm. and all of that done, and then you know you're able to, you know, be able to enjoy your money in real time, mm-hmm. whatever that in the, whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. So. Again, it's, it's the emotions behind it, right? And yeah. uh, it, it, for me, it's, it, money is really very emotional. It <laughs> is. It's all psychology. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's how, you know, it can be a little bit challenging. But again, with education, with talking about it, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stigma around even discussing money. Yeah. Um, especially in our, so I'm in South Asian, in the South Asian community. It, there's a lot of secrecy. There's a lot of, like, it, no one should know, like, if we are, you know, in any kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's home to get out of that. But yeah. everyone, you know, um, could benefit from being more open about
0: it. So. That's right. I'm so excited about, the fact we're just doing this. You know, we've got two doctors here, like, showing up and talking about money. You all are both on call right now, I believe right are you still each on the call like you could be called as, is it the hospital at any moment <laughs> and you're <laughs> taking time to talk about this issue because it's so important and affects people's lives yeah. so much so i really appreciate you both highlighting the issue and taking the time to do it
1: thank and you, you as well
0: yeah 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 there, so there's like a million topics for us to talk about what else do you guys want to talk
2: about <laughs> I wanted oh. to piggyback on something. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, no,
1: no, no. I was just going to say, have, if you guys have had any challenges, please share away.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on something that you were talking about. I think that, you know, there is a lot of secrecy around money and there's mm-hmm. a lot of also a lot of shame around money. Yeah. And, you know, we... we um, The culture around personal finance traditionally has been, um, you know, kind of a... a t- top-down approach um, and uh, kind of in many ways as medicine has been a patriarchal kind of approach to to finance right let me Mm -hmm. tell you what to do with your money let me tell you how to do it Um, you don't have the ability to understand this it's too complicated for you so I'll tell you what you need to do and oh you should feel bad because you didn't do it this way and you should Mm -hmm. have done it this way and so I I think there's a lot of historically there's been a lot of shame around money and, and managing our personal finances and mistakes that we've made, and so um, I think I really see that shifting, and I appreciate that so much. And I love, um, you know, seeing that it's as you said, the democratization of this, and and you know, um, being able to talk about these things openly and and take away the the stigma of you know oh man I have a lot of student debt or I made some mistakes and got into some credit card debt and I'm dealing with it you know or you know just kind of uh, overcoming that that shame narrative and and approaching it with with a narrative of empowerment.
0: Mm -hmm. That really resonates and and I think that's very powerful for you to be saying as a doctor because we look at doctors with such authority right and you just Mm -hmm. assume you assume they know everything. And, and so for you all to show up as doctors and be like, we've struggled with this and we have, we know other people have struggled with this. It's huge. And it, it really just underscores like it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, whether you're an immigrant or not, whether you're a doctor or working in a restaurant, whatever it is, like these are really hard issues that are emotional. Um yeah, that, that's a big theme coming up, the emotions of finance, <laughs> I'm hearing. Ooh, we could talk about that a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, just speaking about like things that are empowering, um, I think also in the process of like really getting any job, not just like your first job out of training um, is the process of negotiation. Mm-hmm. So if I could just have a few minutes and you know, we can into it. Um, there are a few things in life that I want to have a microphone about. And negotiation is one of them. Like if I could stand at the helipad of every hospital and just like, please, like, guys, please negotiate your contract. You know, they did like a bunch of different surveys across different professions. And it's something to different like 60% of women especially, have never negotiated any of their contracts. Mm-hmm. And within medicine, especially, I was looking at the study where they looked at all the surgical trainings and women surgical trainees had lower estimates of their salary. So they, they had basically undervalued themselves. Mm. And then on top of that, when you don't negotiate, I mean, I think that's also one of the reasons why there is such a big wage gap mm-hmm. between men and women. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, this isn't necessarily our fault. I think a lot of it is just like, no one really tells you how to do it. Again, yeah. you know, when you told us like how to negotiate and, um, but, you know, having gone through the process is it, just so empowering because it's all you get to know that you can negotiate and mm-hmm. that hospitals and clinics always have more money than they let on to give you. Yes. So don't let them get away with that. Um, but no, it, it's really about like educating for yourself right at the mm-hmm. end of the day um and realizing that again it's not a shameful thing to be talking about money I mean it may feel gauche it may feel happy it may feel awkward but it's not um and so yeah I mean how I went about my first contract negotiation was honestly like when I was in the process of doing my job interviews when I would get those offer letters from the initial um you know, letter from the hospital, I would show it to a trusted doctor um, or, you know, an attendant that I was working with that I really trusted and confided in. And they would give me a really good, you know, feedback. Um, sometimes I would have them proofread my sort of negotiation email that I would send back to them. Um, you know, just saying, like, you know, is this okay? Is this reasonable to like ask them? Um, and the, the thing about negotiating is it's never just like a one-off thing there can be a bit of back and forth which mm-hmm. is okay um, but yeah I just learned so much about myself and you know when you put yourself through a couple of those processes you just get to learn like how you also behave in these situations mm-hmm. so um, yeah it, it's just an awesome feeling mm-hmm. so yeah that is my my hope (laughs) that's so important thank you for sharing that yeah thank you yeah yeah
0: super valuable and I think that the same skill set applies to a lot of financial topics from what I've seen um especially for the immigrant community to bring it back to our topic for tonight, like there's a lot of things where you just may not know whether you can do something or why you got that Charge on your credit card, or why they're telling you you can't open a bank account. And a lot of it comes down to like having that willingness, even if it's uncomfortable, to choose to believe in yourself, just like what you're talking about with the negotiating and yeah. just like ask a question or make that call and like be a financial advocate for yourself. That's something we work on a lot um, with folks in our community is just like, you get a charge, like call up your credit card and be like, why did I get that charge? You know, like yeah. you have nothing to lose, right? And a lot of times they'll just reverse it just because you call, mm. you know? Um, and it's, so it's learning that skill set applies, I think, to everything when it comes to finances.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, you know, that's a really good point that, especially because the language around finances, I would also say a lot of the legal stuff, it So there's so much of jargon here, I mean, in medicine, let's be honest, but so much of it is almost purposely written and framed in a way for you to not understand. That goes to even professionals like us, right? Yes. So it's almost like someone has to translate what the document, like, people means to you. Right? So, um, and it can be very intimidating, because it is about money. So it's right. when there's that fear of saying, oh, someone can come and take my money. I remember feeling that a lot as the student, too, with all these fees, and in terms of conditions, and all these things Like I've mm-hmm. done all at the same time, and I was like, oh, like, you know, are they, like, out to get me? So, um, I think it's, it's a really great skill to teach people um, that that is just okay to ask questions. It's okay to call up, you know, that company and just ask questions to be to want to like understand more. And I would also add to make that information accessible in different languages, mm. uh, just because the U.S. is only getting more and more diverse. Um, yeah. I know a lot of it it is available in Spanish, which is great, but I do think that you know it could be depending on the region, of course
2: to be acceptable to, in, in different languages, if possible, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. And maybe, I was
0: wondering if, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead,
2: Justin. I was just wondering if you could share, you know, I, I've, I've been really learning a lot from you and following you here on Instagram, and oh, I was wondering if you'd you. be willing to, to share a little bit about some of the things that um, you've been doing and some of the, the common roadblocks that you've seen the immigrant community come up against, um, because it's definitely something I'm, I'm learning a lot from you as, as you share.
0: Oh, Thank you so much for saying that and the support. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like we're talking about, everybody has challenges. So there's just that extra layer. A lot of times, um, if you're an immigrant or a family member of an immigrant, especially if you're the first in your family. So a lot of the people in our community, they're the first ones in their family, not only to like have to figure out college and jobs and all these things, but also investing and retirement and you know, many people have grown up their whole li- their whole childhoods like translating the documents at the, at the doctor for their parents. I'm sure you all see that all the time, right? And it's just, um, you know, take, to bring that into the finances. And so a lot of our students are not only learning for themselves, but they're learning for their whole family at the same time. And, and there's um, a lot of uh, fear that I hear people say like their parents have about investing Um, you know, that they're afraid it's like gambling, they're gonna lose all their money. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of like individuals stepping up to be the leader in their family, to learn finances and empower the whole family and share what they're learning. That's one of my favorite things um, that we do is like, when we help someone who has not been able to open their investment account because they don't have um, immigration status, get it open and then open one for their parents and their siblings and like the whole family changes because they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna have retirement you know they're gonna have uh they're gonna be able to start having their money work for them so um i i just think there's oh there's so this is a huge topic but like there's a really big need for people to take this stuff to not only like covering the bills and getting by right but having their money work for them because um, we have a huge problem in this country where immigrants have been treated in the legal system and the employment systems as sources of cheap labor often like the whole. Immigration law system is based on this right of taking advantage mm-hmm. of people I mean, if you want me to just hear me nerd out for one second like the Bracero program was um, one of the first immigration law policies ever and it was basically. Bring in um, people from Mexico to work the farms and factories when Americans were at war, and then when the Americans came back, they deported all of them, and they would do this in cycles, and that was like the first foundations of the immigration law system. So there's just this huge, you know, violent, racist, ugly system that is under undergirding. What's the word? Under. <laughs> I'm I'm blinking. Underlying the whole immigration law system that people are being subject to. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you have to go through that. And then like, you've been, you know, oftentimes uh, disempowered and dehumanized by that system. Mm -hmm. And then the financial system on top of that is like another layer to that of, like you all were talking about earlier, like, um, you know, not not making it accessible to certain Mm -hmm. people and making it so complicated leaving people out. So there's just so much work, I think I really see it um, as like a radical act of resistance for immigrant families to learn about finances and get really good at finances. Um, and just a lot of it comes to mindset, but we talked about in the first in the beginning, like, choosing to believe you can do that is the hardest right. part. And it's right. the hardest part. Yeah and Justin I'd love to hear your thoughts on that of like making like I'm sure you've seen that with your community too about finances just making that decision to be like okay I'm gonna learn this I'm gonna get good with my money or like I might at least learn the foundation Mm -hmm. has that been a challenge for people in your community?
2: Yeah I mean I think that um you know, it's, it's notorious that, that doctors are just not very good at money. Um, really? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, it's, yeah, it's just kind it. of a, a joke that doctors just aren't.
1: Good Why with is money. that?
2: Um, I think, I mean, we spend so much time in school learning everything <laughs> but money, and then, you know, we, we get out and we're, we're our careers are very busy, and we're just, you know, kind yeah. of, uh, well, I have money, I'm just gonna, you know, use it, whatever, whatever comes to mind as as opposed to being intentional with it. And, and so um, it's been really interesting, um, you know, talking with colleagues and, and um, with residents being a fellow, or I wasn't attending for a period of time before going back to fellowship and, and just, it was amazing being able to just, you know, have a sit down conversation with, with residents and trainees and, um, you know, hear them, talk about i didn't even know what a roth IRA was i didn't even know what an emergency fund was Mm -hmm. you know i i uh i feel like i don't have you know enough money to to put towards anything how how should i think about this and um and so i think it's just it's really a matter of of um again it's 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 different um in that i feel like doctors hold a, a place of privilege in society um but i i do think that there is um also, a need for empowerment that you can make—you know—you can make some choices for yourself, and and mm-hmm. you can learn these things, and it's it's not too complicated, <laughs> um, and and the basics are very accessible and, and actually pretty simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think Jetson should like create this finance education curriculum, <laughs> and then like put a patent on it, mm-hmm. and then distribute it to all the medical schools. <laughs> Totally. like he, like you mentioned yesterday there is such a big large gap in it um and it's really like it's finance financial literacy you know it's it's really like it, it is one of those things where it governs so much of how we you know we are like i'll I'll give you another example of it I listened to this podcast episode yesterday um it was by the doctor called dr Kevin Poe he goes by Kevin M.D. He's like one of the OG like, bloggers of the whole community, very, very highly regarded. Um, and it was the conversation between him and this contact negotiation lawyer. Right? Mm-hmm. And the topic of the conversation was, are hospitals evil um, towards doctors? So immediately <laughs> I had to like, you know, check out the episode. <laughs> I happened to be a doctor working in a hospital. And... It's so interesting when you feel so heard and you have so many of your experiences validated and mirrored by the lawyer, mm-hmm. because the lawyer was mentioning all these points. And actually he, he mentioned how he, he, uh, his own child had a diagnosis of the George syndrome. So it's, mm. it's one of the genetic abnormalities. And, you know, your, your child can be pretty sick with it, it's like a variety of neurological problems, heart problems, mm-hmm. a lot of them, they need heart surgery. So he stayed with his child in the hospital for a year, and he noticed how doctors would come in and out, spend the entire day and night with the child, and he... Uh, the, there was this one night when the cardiology fellow apologized to him, the lawyer, for taking 10 minutes for a lunch break. And the lawyer was like, well, well of course, you have to go eat. I mean, doctors eat too, right? <laughs> so I'll just all say that he just saw the stark reality of what doctors have to through on a day-to-day basis, And the reason why he got into contract negotiation to begin with was because he... Realize that it has been so deeply ingrained and conditioned into physicians from the time that they enter uh, medical school that you have to just keep giving, right? Mm. Giving and giving and giving and giving until you are done. Um, so when that is sort of your own, only focus, any and every condition that is thrown up you, you will accept that, right? Okay? Mm. So if you have to stay longer in the hospital, for two extra hours to see those two extra patients that you don't charge, you will do it because you are told to. And while that is, of course, you know, it is part of the job and part of your duty, you shouldn't be exploited, you know, just for the goodness of your heart. And I think he just realized that there was a need for lawyers to also guide um, physicians in the process of uh, negotiating, putting these boundaries, um, you know, in, in their own terms. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was really eye opening. It was just 20 minutes, but I was like, man, it was really amazing to, to learn so much. Yeah. Anyways, final curriculum. That's,
0: that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what you're saying is such an important point, too, more generally for the immigrant community, because, like, back to that thing of people being viewed by the legal system as like sources of cheap labor and not having workers rights and being taken advantage of and not you know being uh providing all of the you know a lot of the healthcare in this country and cooking the food and cleaning and everything but not being allowed to have a work permit to have your rights, all this stuff it's a similar idea where people are ingrained from the beginning of like you just you just give and be grateful you, you know you just work hard and be lucky you have a job right yeah. and I can imagine how compounded that must be if you're an immigrant healthcare professional. Is that something you all have seen?
1: I mean, um, yeah, you know, it, so right now, um, you know, I, I am still within the legal immigration black framework. Um, and I am one of the 25% of immigrant physicians that contribute to the you know, medical professional pool in the U.S. So one in every four physicians in the U.S. has a international background, and yeah. immigrant background. And there are a lot of constraints mm-hmm. that people really don't know about yeah. um, on what we can do, what we can't, if we can work part-time, we can I mean, the answer
2: is no, you, you can't do part-time or right. full time
1: um, contract. So at times it can feel very constricting and it can also feel like <clears throat> if you make one wrong move because your entire basis of staying in the U.S. is tied to your employment, yes. mm. right? So if I were to go and say something that goes back to my hospital board or upsets anyone, um, if someone reports me and I basically I get fired tomorrow, then I'm going to be out. Like, I can't mm. stay here anymore. And that definitely plays into how I conduct myself, you know? Of course. Um, mm. so, so, and like you said uh, for I mean, yes, I belong to the immigrant community, but I feel so, so, so much privileged than say, people who are undocumented or people who are working in the agricultural sector or in the restaurant business, but They are like the heart and soul of these fields, yet they are often um, voiceless, and they really don't have uh, much in the way of their rights. There's a lot of trauma associated with that. It's very traumatic to be living that kind of reality where um, your status is uh, very variable depending on the policies. Um, And with that, again, everything is connected, right? Like, your ability to earn a wage, your access to healthcare, your access to food and shelter. So, yeah, yeah, it's Mm. definitely a very
0: real thing. It's like your entire sense of security and safety, which we know. if anyone's familiar with, like, Maslow's hierarchy, I'm sure you all have to study that in school. Like, it's really hard to progress to other areas of your life when you don't have that basic security and I just want to thank you so much for being brave to share that because Uh, thank you I think there, like there's not enough attention being shown on you know even if you might be in a more privileged position you still have to go through these traumas of the system and you know although I have not been through that personally and I've also been privileged as a U.S. citizen seeing my husband go through it he was in the same thing where his visa was based on his work and it was he was on short-term contracts and for a couple years he was on like two or three month contracts and we didn't know if he would have to leave the country every two or three months Mm. and it was just so anxiety-provoking yeah so there are there are levels of traumas throughout the system and throughout the privileges you know and they're all valid and important Mm -hmm. and I just I think it's really important we're talking about that in, in this talk right now because I'm sure others feel that too
1: yeah no really uh thank you so much for you know opening that up opening the whole topic up too because I haven't really shared as much of it um you know of course within one circles I have but it's not very easy to talk about that yeah um I also mention like the pandemic made things extremely challenging and nerve-wracking. I mean you're talking about since March of 2020, um, up until now, first of all, you know the, all of the governmental you know, departments and services have significantly slowed down. but for those first six months or first couple of months, everything had shut down. I mean, it went from yeah. like a hundred to zero.
0: Right.
1: So at that time, um, you know, personally for me, I was on my way to making the transition from fellowship to my first attending job. And my contract was all set and everything was good to go, but the legal part of it was still pending. Like you mm-hmm. switch from one visa class to another. And that yeah. depends on USCIS, which is Department of Immigration, to be open and processing the cases mm-hmm. and they, so now they come out with these announcements saying that we have suspended all, all of our services until TBD yeah. um, so there was a time in my life when I was like oh I don't know if I will be able to stay in the U.S. but okay if I stay will I be able to start on time as mentioned mm-hmm. in my contract? If not, will I be able to survive in living in California on no income? <laughs> this is very challenging. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was, that was, that was probably one of the most mentally challenging things I've yeah. ever had to do in my life. But I'm just so incredibly grateful that everything, um, you know, went through. But, you know, it, it continues to still be tough for, for a lot of them out
0: there. Hmm. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I can't imagine going through that also with just the stresses you all have had during the pandemic as healthcare professionals. Can you all right. speak a little bit about that? Because like that, that is crazy what you all have been through. I mean, I have some friends who are doctors in hospitals and yeah, it's just, I cannot imagine. So like maybe... Know, Justin if you want to maybe take this one off like how has it been as a doctor during a pandemic and trying to figure out finances
2: yeah it's <laughs> a it's a it's a good question and thank you again for sharing your experience that was I appreciate that I know that's a vulnerable thing to talk about so thank you yeah Um, I think yeah being um being a doctor during the pandemic has been interesting so I I was actually working abroad um, on a small island, Pacific, uh, when the pandemic first hit, and um, it was pretty terrifying. We had uh, very few ventilators on island, and, um, you know, we were just not knowing what to expect, and um, and so I, you know, I experienced working in, in that environment, and then working here um, back in the U.S., um, I think in some ways, we're lucky being pediatric providers it's it's hit us differently than it has a lot of our adult Mm -hmm. colleagues um but i think everybody is feeling the strain and the stress and um i think especially our our nursing colleagues are are really feeling it and um and i think that everybody's kind of stretched thin and and staffing shortages are a real issue across the u.s and um and so i think that you know there's just this this air of of tension that um that adds a whole different layer to to the the job of being a doctor, which is a challenging job in the first place. Um but um you know I think that when it comes to finances, you know, I've had I've had friends who have you know, graduated at the time of a hiring freeze, you know, a lot of hospitals were like, we're not, we're not going to hire during this time because, you know, we don't know what to expect. And so I think that that's really impacted people. And, and some of my friends who are here on visas, you know, trying to negotiate contracts during a hiring freeze with an organization that will accept your visa and work with you to, to get that done. And, and uh, I mean, I I can't imagine what that must be like. Um, it's got to be so difficult, so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. I, I echo a lot of what you mentioned in that in those first couple of months, I think everyone was trying to figure out what what COVID even meant, like what it was doing to our patients because it was a novel disease uh, and a novel virus. Um, and then, you know, Thankfully, we got to like just learn more and more about the therapeutics and also you know the physiology and all of that topic. Um, And yeah, you know, similarly in our ICU because the first couple of months when the pandemic hit, especially the U.S., I was still up there in the ICU. And so we we would have you know few cases here and there, um, especially with COVID. But for the most part, it wasn't as. Significant as in the adult population. Um, now as you know, an attending, working in the community where I also see a lot of newborns and in, uh, critically ill neonates, so that premature babies, um, I actually sort of get exposed more so to pregnant mothers who have who are positive for COVID. Uh, and some of the sequelae of that, so some of the consequences being either premature delivery. Um, thankfully, in like 99.9% of cases where moms are positive, the newborns are not sick. Um, they are very healthy, they do very well. Now we tell mom that, especially if you get vaccinated, that you can actually pass on some of those antibodies um, if you're breastfeeding to your baby. The baby's actually getting some passive immunity through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, every now and then um, we have the premature babies that are born. Um, sometimes moms themselves get a lot sicker after delivery or after the deception. So, them, them having been taken to the ICU, it's just very distressing to the family because there's just so much going on. Yeah. Um, and so, we have to kind of take over the care of the newborn. Um, so that's sort of what I've been, um, you know, also uh, yeah. looking at. Another thing that I've kind of seen as an indirect effect of the pandemic, because it has disrupted access to medical care in some ways to families, mm-hmm. where you know either they don't do medicine or they just haven't been able to go to an office. So sometimes even regular medical conditions can get neglected. Um, like, for example, a lot of kids come into the ER with seizures when they should have been, uh, you know, treated with medication um, and they're not, or there's compliance because the parents just don't know how to use the medication. So there are some of those effects, uh, you know, that that we see on the line. I think personally, one thing that was Particularly challenging, and it kind of ties in with all the visa issues that I was having at the beginning. Was um, not being able to travel outside of the US, um, both because you know we are essential, we are needed. You know, you try to always be available. Um, you know, when things desperate, um, so yeah, Sort of having to go between those two and just hoping and praying that my family would be okay and not, uh, you know, fall sick all of a sudden because that is the one unsettling feeling, right? That you're not able to uh, get to your family on time mm-hmm. when they need you. So that was a little bit challenging, but then I, I was just really fortunate last year to have, um, you know, visited them and they came and put
0: Well, that's great. I'm glad you got to see them. Yeah, for
1: sure.
0: That brings up another financial topic for immigrants, which is like saving for those trips or saving Mm. to be able to see family. And, you know, sometimes you can't um, go to a certain country or there's visa issues. You have to meet somewhere in the middle. It can be really complicated or sponsoring family, So, that's another thing that people um, often have to budget around. That makes <clears throat> makes their financial planning different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those air uh, tickets uh, yeah. are not cheap. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, traveling in general is expensive, but um, I feel like yeah, any any sort of trip from the US, especially if you're traveling like transatlantic, mm-hmm. then you know it. It that it adds up uh, quite a bit. So mm. yeah, as 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 with uh, everything else, uh, budgeting that, you know, and and you know, if traveling in general is a priority for you, um, you know, just putting that as a priority into how you allocate your money, right? Uh, you know, that, that's really mm-hmm. key. Because again, you should be able to uh, get all those experiences that you want. Uh, you know let's be through
0: caption yeah absolutely um, well we have covered so much good stuff is there anything else either of you wants to touch on that we have missed
2: mm. let kind of look at our document I don't have anything yeah. else the top of my head
1: yeah I mean I'm really glad that this is more like a easy conversational style and yeah, I do think that we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> we but... do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just as my, oh, I'm, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, um, I saw that someone had had a question about balancing the doctor lifestyle while pursuing financial freedom. I know you all talked about that a little bit, the, the lifestyle inflation, but um, I would love to hear about, like, how do you. How do you let yourself enjoy it, that hard-earned mm-hmm. money? You made after all those years of school and debt, um, but also you know being being responsible with your financial planning and all that.
1: Yeah, um, I can I can quickly touch on this. Um, I think the the thing that you have mentioned about paying yourself first is super important, right? So what does that look like? So that looks like automating your savings. Um, I actually like automate my um, investments as well. So mm-hmm. instead of thinking of my investment bucket as something that's coming out of my savings, the money that I eventually save at the end of paying my bills and investments, like it, it's already been taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think when I made sort of that switch and again it started with a switch in my brain when I did that, and I do think of investing, i paying myself in the long term, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so once I was able to do that, the rest of the money was really sort of up to me to decide to either spend it upfront, or if I wanted to save it for a bigger goal in the future, so if I really want to take that trip, or if I want to buy a certain thing, or if I want to have a family member, um, again, that really is up to are the priorities in your life but that's that's just how i think of it conceptually.
2: yeah i think that's a really great perspective i think that um values-based spending is kind of what is is kind of the term that i like to use and and the idea that you know you should be able to enjoy things and you know it's not wrong to you know want to travel or want to go out meet or whatever Mm -hmm. and i think that um you know it's important to kind of take a moment and think like, what are the things that actually bring you happiness and, mm-hmm. and add value to your life and spend on those things, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you're, if you're buying the newest car or the biggest house to kind of keep up with your other friends who are doing the same, that's, you know, is that going to make you happy? I, I don't know. You'll have to answer that question. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you have certain values and it's really important to you to be able to do these certain things then absolutely, you know, budget for those things and, Um, I think that sinking funds are a really helpful way to approach it. And, you know, if you, if you need $8,000 for a trip uh, two years from now, you know, divide that by 24 months and put that money away every month, you know, and then you'll have your $8,000, you know, or whatever the case may be, or, um, whatever that expense is. And, and just, you know, prioritizing the things that actually add value to your life and, and spending on those and, and then cutting back on the things that are, you know superfluous beyond that and I think what you're talking about about you know paying yourself first making sure that you're getting those the, the savings emergency fund taken care of you're getting your investments settled and then and then you know that money that you have left over spending it on things that bring you joy
0: couldn't agree more very well said both of you thank
1: you
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: Great. Well, it was so awesome talking to you both and um, just shout out to the pediatric doctors in the world because I have a two-year-old and very grateful people like you exist in case you ever need help yeah thank you yeah when I saw you're like both pediatric I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> you know we love all the doctors that, that help her when she needs it so thanks for your amazing work and highlighting these very important topics um sharing our personal experiences even though it's very vulnerable so really really appreciate it
2: thank you both I, I really yeah. enjoyed speaking with you and learning from you both I thank you yeah
1: yeah, likewise. I
0: had such a wonderful time and hopefully
1: we can
2: do this some other time and yeah. talk
1: about
0: another topic. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Just part one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Have a great All rest of your night. Thanks. thank no you Bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening to the Immigrant Finance Show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and leave us a review so we can reach more people to help. Also, did you know we started a free Facebook group for immigrant families who want to build generational wealth? We're doing free monthly trainings covering everything from investing to online business. Plus, you will be in there with a network of other inspiring members of our community. Make sure to join us at facebook.com slash groups slash immigrant finance.